Praise God for his word. Praise God for Jesus. The one who washes our sins away, the one who gives us life, the one who gives us sight, the one who removes our blindness, the one in whom we can hope and have our everlasting life. You know, so often in our lives, we go about this world, and the very fact is, is that this world is a dark place. Furthermore, we have an adversary whose name is the devil, and he is described as one who is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's also one who is described to be quite wily. Oh, what's that mean? It means he doesn't play fair. It means that he's trickery. It means that he's deceptive. And so often in our lives, we go through and we see things. And this is a beautiful song, but it actually has to be qualified. You ever had songs that needed to be qualified? Because, oh, it is true, the analogy that we once were blind, but now we see. But even though we now see, we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. That's the true sight. That's the true vision, is to see life as God sees it, to see this world as God sees it, to see ourselves as God sees it, to see our schedule and our activities as God sees it. And when we see things as God sees it, that's called faith. That's why we need to be walking every day, not simply by sight, but by faith. Let me illustrate it for you in this way. There are many activities in this world that appear to be shiny and fun, that appear to be full of great pleasure, in our physical eyes, that's what we may see. But there are many things that may appear that way from our fleshly, earthly perspective. But when we see them from God's perspective, they take on an ugliness, a filthiness, an uncleanness. And therefore, we need to be alert to that, we need to be on guard. We need to be seeing, not as we think and perceive things, but as God does. And this is so vitally important as we begin to grow up. Ezra, would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me there? This morning in Bible Hour, we learned about Ezra. Ezra chapter 9. I'd like to revisit this and deal with a theme that we certainly didn't have time to deal with in Bible Hour, but is a theme that continues to this very day, an issue for God's people. Ezra chapter 9. Some of you haven't been here to hear about Ezra, so I'll give you a brief introduction to him. God's people, the children of Israel, had been carried away captive into Babylon. That captivity lasted for 70 years. 
people began to come back after the first captivity 70 years later. 70 years after the temple was destroyed, a decree was issued for people to come back to the promised land to rebuild the temple. That was done under a man named Zerubbabel. 78 years later, a man named Ezra is commissioned by the king of Persia, Esther's stepson, by the way, to go back to the land to beautify the temple. But Ezra was not just coming to beautify the temple. Ezra was a Levite. He was a priest after the order of Zadok. And he had a particular mission that's recorded for us in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. His mission, his goal, is that he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra had three particular goals. The first two are personal, and the third one involved the mission. The first one was to know the law of God, to know God's word. The second was to obey, to do it. And the third was to teach others. You know, that's a great model for all of us to live, to seek to know God's word, God's way, to obey, to do it, and then to teach others. By the way, if you flip this, it doesn't really work. There were Levites who sought to teach the law of God, and you know what they ended up teaching? Heresy, falsehood. They were shepherds who led the people astray. No, it begins by seeking the word of God. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. We learned this morning that as soon as Ezra had arrived, deposited the great wealth into the treasuries of the temple, news came to him. Look with me at Ezra chapter 9. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. Oh, Ezra right off the bat has to deal with serious sin. Huh. Abominations right off the bat. Now, we're not going to take the time to deal with the focus of the marriage side of this. plan to follow up on that later this afternoon. But a little part of the marriage side I do want to talk about. Do you see here the order of the events described here? Look at verse 1. The report comes that uh, the people from all the different classes you may speak have what? Have not done something, and they have done something. 
What they have not done led to them doing something. What they had not done was separated themselves from the people of the lands. Because they did not separate themselves from the people of the lands, they were doing according to their abominations. And then this led to marriages. The issue here, just to make it clear, is not about ethnic or inter-ethnic, interracial marriage. The issue is about relationships with people who are doing abominable things. Abominable things are things that God hates. It started by them not separating from them. It led to them doing the things they were doing. And instead of it being a separation, it led to the most intimate human relationships. This is why at the beginning of my sermon here, I said to you, the wiles, the trickery of Satan's real. You see, he leads us down this downward path. We dabble with something that, oh, may not be so bad, and we end up in the most intimate relationship with abomination. That should cause us to shudder. That should cause us to want to open our eyes, not our fleshly eyes, but our eyes of the Spirit, and begin to see things God's way. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6? I'd like to share with you a very famous verse that is given to anyone who is considering marriage by wise Christians. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The city of Corinth was a really perverted place. Abominations and sins and evil that's just unimaginable. And there were a lot of relationships that people form with other people. We all have different relationships, don't we? One of the most sacred and most intimate of human relationships is marriage. Look what is said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? For what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here is a New Testament perspective of what had happened 
in Israel in the days of Ezra. The people had not separated themselves from the, not an ethnic issue, but a wicked people. They then began to do things with them to the point where they formed the most intimate relationships with them, which makes it very hard to break it off. You see, young people, old people, whoever you are, if you're considering marriage, as you consider any relationship, don't just look at the command in verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I beseech you, I beg you, know the reason why. Know the reason why. Because if you don't know the reason why, you will be led down the primrose path or may I say the wild path of the devil into relationships that one day you will wake yourself up, wake yourself, wake up and find yourself and say, how did I get here? See, it's not just about who you marry. It's about who your friends are, who you date, and then it's about who you marry. So what is the why? What is the why? Why is this given here? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, it's illustrated in Ezra. What was it? They did not separate themselves from them. They were then doing their abominations, and then it led to the most intimate relationships, which made it very hard to break off anything. Ezra, in his confession, prays a prayer that is based upon several Mosaic Law passages. Will you take your Bibles and turn with me to the Mosaic Law? Will you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7? Now, there's some people who have trouble with Moses' law in this dispensation of the church, and we ought not to. We should want to be experts, ready in the law of Moses as we are to be in all the scriptures. Why? Well, let me read to you a command. And you might look at this and say, this has no relevancy to me at all. And you're exactly right, it doesn't. Look with me, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse, well, we'll just begin at verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee, the nation of Israel, into the land, the promised land, whither thou goest to possess it, and have cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them from before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Now, if you're reading this, you're going to say, well, hmm, this is totally irrelevant to me. I don't even know who the Hittites are or the Girgashites. In fact, some of these people are long since extinct. I don't even know who they are. 
What's this have to do with me in 2023, almost 2024? This is irrelevant to me. Perhaps people in Ezra's day thought the same thing. Don't know. But it's not irrelevant if you keep reading. You see, the law-specific, explicit, is irrelevant to you. But the principle behind the law is in full effect and reality and has been for all ages. And it's spelled out in the next verse. Verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. You see, the reason you don't join an affinity or marriage with evil people is because they will turn your heart from following God. Think through history. Think through people you know. Have you ever seen this happen? Heard of it happening? Mm. Not just with marriages, with friendships. What are we going to do about it? You see, the principle doesn't start on the day you get married or the day you get engaged or the day you start dating. The principle of our relationships begins even from the youngest of age, from all of our relationships. Now, God has not taken us out of the world. Separation does not mean that you have no contact with people who do bad things. Why, you'd have to have no contact with yourself. You'd have to have no contact with me, for all have sinned. But the key is, is that in our relationships, is it impacting the way that we think and then the way that we act? Are our relationships changing us? Now, let me get real 2023 on you. We got this weird kind of relationship in this day and age that's called virtual. We have relationships with actual breathing people, but really, in the privacy of our own homes, we have intimate relationships with all kinds of different people all the time. Our relationships to the social media, friends, to the influencers. How are they influencing us? Are they influencing us to do good? This morning when we studied Ezra, we saw that when Ezra heard that they were committing these abominations, he trembled, he tore his garments, he fell on his face before God. He was horrified as he wept and he cried for the horror of what the people had done. Do we dabble with the sins of the world or do we separate from it? 
Do we play with it? Do we take pleasure in it? There's great abominations that can flow right through on your phone. Does your phone rule you or do you rule your phone? Do you separate yourself from evil? Or do you let yourself be led astray? Scriptures in the New Testament speaks of our relationships with people. We need to be seeking love, truth, righteousness with them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Are we forming both personal, real relationships and virtual relationships it's not just about saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to do da, 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 da. Most of the time when we do that, we're secretly actually doing it. Ugh. The key is, is that what relationships are we actually fostering in a right way? It, it's not just about when you get to marriage. See, that's the most intimate of relationships. It's, it's all of our relationships to consider. And how are they leading us? Are our relationships leading us to do right or to do wrong? Be aware. Ask the question. If it's leading you in doing wrong, there's a separation that does need to exist to some degree. If it's causing you to do wrong. But there's also a sense in which, how about you get with those who are doing right? to be able to come to those who are lost to bring to them the ministry of reconciliation, the reconciliation to God. See, our separation from the lost can't be to say, oh, you're disgusting, oh, you're bad. No, it actually is a ministry to say, I needed Jesus, I need Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. And if that's our focus, we'll be able to have a relationship with such people because it won't be us in our carnality or flesh having the relationship with them. It will be the living presence of Jesus inside of us bringing truth and hope and life to them. And if that's our ministry to them, then, and truly, since in sincerity, then we won't be doing the wrong or evil or abominable things with them. Do you see that? On the contrary, if we are Christians and we are doing the wrong, the sinful, the evil, the abominable, you know, let's, let, for a moment, let's just consider there's a spectrum. If we're doing those things with them, how effective are we going to be in sharing the gospel with them. You see, we have to have the right perspective of people. And do we bring to them hope? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's so very true. But what is our relationship with them? Is it to bring hope to them? Let's consider for a moment some of these people groups, we talked about this a little bit in Bible Hour this morning, but I would like to expand it from a spiritual sense and an application for us here today. 
the list of nations here, these seven nations, were to be cut off. Did you know that even before, even before the children of Israel entered into that promised land, there was a missionary mission that reached an entire family? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know about Jericho, right? That's the first city conquered when Israel came into the promised land. And before they even came in and before those walls came tumbling down, there was a Canaanite woman and some of her family who became believers. And when the destruction of Jericho came, they were spared. You see, the whole situation here is that there was hope for those people. But were they believers trusting in God? Talked about it earlier this morning. Rahab ends up as a Canaanite woman, one of these seven nations, from one of these seven nations, a Canaanite woman ends up in the line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's all about redeeming people. He's all about redeeming people. What's our mission? To see people redeemed. Those of you who are considering marriage or someday considering marriage, begin now living your life as Ezra did. Look back there. Look back there. Are you always acknowledging the good hand of God? Ezra chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Are you always looking for the good hand of God to guide you and to lead you day by day in your life? Are you as Ezra, preparing your heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it? I think it's interesting here that it's not just that he sought the law of God to do it and to teach it. Did you see what happened first? I skipped that intentionally earlier. He was preparing his heart. You see, this is a kind of a disposition. It's a frame of mind. It's a perspective on life. It's a, it's a decision that you can make today to say, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to seek to know his word. I'm going to seek to know his perspective of life, and I'm going to obey. You see, so often we fail because we don't actually plan to obey. When you go out into the day of work or the day of school or out to just have a fun time with friends, have you already purposed in your heart to do right, to seek God's way? When you do, it's going to make a difference in the priority of the activities you choose to participate in, isn't it? It's going to create a whole new frame of mind when you're going in and you're preparing to work with the unreasonable boss or the painful coworker, or whoever it is, your frame of mind is going to be totally different in all of your relationships. Your relationships of dating. What is it? Just to check a box that somebody says they're a Christian on a profile? Or is it that they actually fear God? Love God. Parents, do you want your children to not be unequally yoked? Do you want your children to not be caught up in those sins of the world? Let me give you a hint. 
I speak to myself. Don't just say, be not unequally yoked. Live it yourself. But don't just live this separation thing. See, oftentimes we get this idea of being separated from things and from people. Well, you know, that's really dangerous. Because if I were to have a whole, let's just say the whole world over here, and I'm going to separate myself over here from that, where am I? Where am I? In space, alone. You know what? Those aren't good places. Just in space, alone. Those aren't good spaces. Those aren't good places to be. God didn't design us to be alone. You see, the key of separation is not just what you're separated or who you're separated from, but what and to whom you are attached to. Do you follow? That's the most important part of separation. Because I'll warn you, if you just separate and are alone, you'll end up joining to something not good. You have got to be joined to someone. Who is that? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he wants to fill you, and he wants to fill me, and he wants to abide in us, and he wants us to abide in him. He wants us to be like this. And when we are like this with Jesus, guess what? Now we have a proper perspective and relationship to everyone else so that we can be in those relationships saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. There is our perspective. That's the key of what separation is all about in our time, is to have the call to come to Jesus. So to come back to that with parents, or anyone really, you don't just say to your kids, be not unequally yoked. You don't just say to your kids, separate from all that. And you don't even just say, be joined with Jesus. I keep saying just say. Please do say. But live. Live it. Set an example that they can see. And young people, it's not just for grown-ups to live this way. One of the most beautiful things about living in Jesus is that he knows how to live every age. Perfect. He always did. And so you too can begin to seek to know him, to live in him, to be separate, separate in him. That's a special word. It's holy in him. You are special in him. Live it for God's glory. And if you are living there, and then it comes time of, oh, to get married, oh, now you'll be able to see others and identify others and that special one who also is living in that place. It's not just looking for someone who says, yep, I'm a Christian, check. No, it's one who is living in that place with Jesus. It's not a checklist. It's a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. 
This is the reason throughout all the Old Testament, God paralleled his relationship with his people. And when his people went and served other gods, he said, you're committing adultery. Why? Because our relationship with God needs to be that intimacy that marriage is. That's not only an Old Testament theme, that's a New Testament theme. And when we are committed to God, then we will have this very unique relationship with other people. Think about it here now for a moment. I'm married to Evelyn, and she's with my littlest, I think, somewhere. I don't know where she's at. I'm married to her. Now, I am separated from every other woman. Does that mean I go around looking at them like this? <laughs> it's ludicrous to think that. No. I have relationships with other people, but my relationship with my wife is so unique and special that it will impact my relationships with everyone else. Do you see that? My priority of time, my priority of, of thought, all of where I'm at in my person, being married to my wife changes and impacts my relationships with everyone else. The same is true in my relationship with God. I have a relationship with him, and therefore every other relationship is qualified through that one. Do you see the beauty of this, uh, the analogy? That's what Jesus said through Paul, that the marriage is a symbol of the relationship between Christ and the church. So back to Ezra. Are you separated? Again, not just from, but to who? Who are you separated? What are you separated from? And who and to what are you separated to? Every one of us needs to answer that question. How does that separation relationship impact what we do? Does it change what we do? Does it change our relationships? Both are attributed here. Our relationship of separation will influence what we do and how we interact with people. How is our separation to God, from the world, from sin, to righteousness, how does that change what we do and our relationships with people? We really need to be earnest on that and looking earnestly day by day because we have the wiles of the devil, his trickery, seeking to lead us astray. This morning, will you take time to think yourself and to meditate, not just to hear me, but to really consider yourself and your last week and ask yourself, who have I been separated to this past week? What have I been separated to? What have I been separated from? To whom have I been separated from? From whom have I been separated from? Answer the question honestly before God. And then look at this coming week. How will you prepare your heart for this coming week? It involves confession for what is past 
and it involves commitment to what is coming. Don't forget Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, dear Spirit of God, move among us. Help us to see ourselves and our relationships as you see us. Help us to see you in your glory, in your holiness, in your goodness. May each of us humbly confess before you and humbly commit ourselves to you in this time, I pray. Amen.